Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Tuesday, November 28th. Now our monthly Call Your Senator segment. My questions and yours for New York Senator Kirsten Gillibrand. New Yorkers, call your senator. Anyone not from New York may also call if you've got a question relevant for the Democratic senator who serves on the Intelligence and Armed Services Committees, also the Agriculture, Nutrition, and Forestry Committee, and the Special Committee on Aging. And aging is part of what we'll talk about with Senator Gillibrand. Senator, we always appreciate that you do this. Welcome back to WNYC. Hi, Brian. How are you? Good, thank you. I I see that you had met with the family of four-year-old American and Israeli citizen Abigail Idan, who has gotten so much press attention as a hostage in Gaza and now freed. Her parents were murdered in front of her on October 7th. In fact, her father, while she was still in his arms, according to what I've read in the media, so horrible and cruel. Have you been in touch with the family since the release or know what happens now to a child who's been through something like that? No, I haven't I haven't been able to talk to her family, um, but I can tell you um, uh, this hostage nightmare continues. Um, we still have uh, probably over 100 and maybe 60 or 70 uh, hostages still um, unaccounted for. Um, and the joy with which the family will receive Abigail is um, extraordinary and, and so important, but there are still many many families that are divided and do not have their family and loved ones with them. So this will be an ongoing effort by President Biden uh, to do the kind of diplomacy that's necessary to get um, hostages returned. And I'm very focused on how I can support that effort. The U.S. media, as you know, has many stories of the individual hostages, Abigail Don and others, very heart-wrenching very humanizing, very well-deserved with the hell these families are going through, inflicted heartlessly by Hamas. But there's been much less humanization of individual Palestinian families with thousands of civilians reported killed, according to independent estimates. That's real suffering of innocent families, too, even though it's not terrorism as such. Have you met with any Palestinian Americans who have connections to the killings in Gaza and have any of their stories to tell? I've not had any Palestinian Americans reach out to me to ask to be heard about what's happening and ways that I can protect innocent Palestinians. Um, The biggest challenge I think uh, Israel has right now is that Hamas continues to use innocent Palestinians as human shields. Um, We've seen the video footage of the um, hospitals being used, daycares being used, um, schools being used as... um, cover for military operations and for the storage of guns and bombs and rockets. So that is an ongoing challenge because if Israel wants to defeat Hamas and take out their ability to um, conduct the kind of carnage and horrific violence they conducted on October 7th, they need to find them and be able to um, take them down. It's really horrific. And I just saw this morning the video footage of the October 7th attack from body cameras of Hamas fighters, as well as from home cameras 
as well as um, personal cell phones that were stolen from Israelis and recovered. Um, I can't describe how evil and horrific and brutal and barbaric this attack was. I've witnessed people being beheaded with garden hose, with knives. It is unconscionable what happened. And so I think the challenge we have in this situation is Israel cannot allow such a terrorist group to continue to run Gaza, to deny the people, the Palestinian people, the food, the fuel, the medical um, capabilities and medical support that they need. And that's what we're up against. Defeating terrorism is hard, and I don't think you can do it easily. And it's why the United States, I think, is working so hard to try to work on these pauses to get hostages returned and to talk about how we get more trucks in for humanitarian relief. We've been getting in over 100 a day um, in some instances, and that's a very, very good start. It's what the humanitarian organizations asked for. So um, it's hard. It's not going to be easy. Um, we're going to talk about other things, too, in this segment. But as you might imagine, a number of the calls and texts that we're getting have to do with the situation in the Middle East and the U.S. relationship to it. And let's take one right now. Cooper in Bushwick. You're on WNYC with Senator Gillibrand. Hello, Cooper. Hi, Brian. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Hello. Uh, thank you, Senator, for taking my call. Uh, very simple question. Maybe it's not so simple, but was wondering if you would join other senators like Jeff Merkley in Oregon and calling for a ceasefire in the fighting between Israel and Hamas. As you know, the majority of the casualties have been civilians. And yeah, just general opinion. So I think a humanitarian pause that we're doing right now to allow for hostage release is very, very important and something I support fully. And I will continue to support these humanitarian pauses as long as hostages continu continually be released. But what a ceasefire means from a military perspective is that you can't go after terrorists. You can't actually root them out, get them out of the hospitals and out of the schools and out of the civilian communities. And so I think it's a term of art that people are using very broadly to say, please stop killing young, innocent people, period. And I, of course, want the killing of young, innocent people to stop as well. Um, but if you call for a ceasefire, it means you can't stop Hamas and what they did on October 7th, they will do again. And they have said, we will do it over and over and over again. Um, rape, beheadings, murder, it's, it's barbaric and you cannot accept it. So that's just not what a ceasefire um, is calling for. It's not calling for pauses and hostage releases and an end to conflicts. It's calling for the inability to stop Hamas. Well, when you were here on October 17th, your last appearance, you said, quote, we do want people to evacuate and to make it possible for at some point Israeli troops to go in to try to defeat Hamas. That is why they have asked citizens to go south to get to safer areas. That's what you said here last month about evacuating to the south for safety. Now, I want to play you a snippet from an NPR story that just aired this morning on Morning Edition about the fate of civilians in those evacuation areas in South Gaza, this is NPR's Ruth Sherlock. The United Nations Relief Agency, UNRWA, says 67 of its facilities, like warehouses and schools, both used as shelters, have been directly hit or damaged. 
and that more than half of these are located in the parts of Gaza Israel told civilians to shelter in. Satellite data analysed by experts for NPR shows how up to 15,000 buildings in these central and southern areas of the Gaza Strip have been damaged or destroyed since the start of this war, and that 94% of the damage happened after Israel ordered Palestinians to move south on October 13. And the civilian harm watchdog Air Wars told NPR the number of civilians reported hurt in these areas increased in the week after Israel gave its evacuation order. NPR's Ruth Sherlock reporting today. So, Senator, yes, Hamas's military needs to be taken care of, but is Israel breaking its promise to those civilians that you articulated here last month? I don't know. I don't know um, what is being bombed and what's the intention of the military actions that are being made. But I can tell you that this is Hamas's goal. Their goal is to make sure the Palestinians suffer. They want to see as many innocent people die as possible because they want the world community to turn against Israel and they want to defeat the Abraham Accords and having a long-term process for peace. Their intention of creating the brutality of October 7th was so that Israel would conduct a war. And this is what happens during wars. Innocent people die and it is horrific. So I don't know um, what's happening specifically, but I also know that the Arab world isn't helping. Um, We do not have uh, Egypt accepting refugees. We do not have Jordan accepting refugees right now. Both countries will tell you that they've already accepted millions of refugees in the decades before now. But that is the humane thing to do is let people leave Gaza so that they can actually be protected outside of the war zone. Um, We don't have the Arab world stepping up to support Uh, security in a Palestinian state and support a government that's not led by a terrorist organization. So one of the things that I know President Biden is working so hard on is engaging Saudi Arabia, um, engaging other Arab leaders to try to be part of a peace plan for this region that allows for a two-state solution, that allows for two countries to be side-by-side living in peace, which is exactly the state on October 6th. So we do need to engage the world on how we can create a plan for peace and a plan for protecting the innocent lives that are caught between a fight between Hamas and Israel right now. Jim in Brooklyn, you're on WNYC with Senator Gillibrand. Hi, Jim. Hey, how are you? Um, Thanks for taking my call. I'll be quick. Um, I just want to ask the senator if... um, it's a fact that Israel has been detaining children for years, 500 to 700 per year, apparently, and thousands are sitting in Israeli prisons without due process, without charges, or being charged for 20 years for things like throwing stones. Um, and uh, Hamas has uh, just over 200 hostages, some children, and by all accounts uh, being treated much better than Israel treats their prisoners or hostages. Um, why are the Israelis hostages and not uh, the Palestinians being held in Israeli prisons, first of all. And then secondly, I just want to say that your constituents overwhelmingly want a ceasefire, and not to listen to them is not democratic. Um, your constituents are overwhelmingly Democrats. 80% of Democrats want a ceasefire, and everyone wants you to ca- call for this. Um, and that you're not doing it is extremely disappointing, and you're, I think you're going to be judged very harshly. Jim, thank you. Senator, specifically uh, on the de- indefinite detentions of, I think this has been well documented in the press, indefinite detentions without charges. 
of many Palestinians, including many Palestinian teenagers, many of them since October 7th, many more have been taken than have been released by Israel in these prisoner exchanges just in this last month and a half. Is that okay? I, I don't think anybody should be detained without due process, period. And I don't think we should do it at Guantanamo Bay. I don't think we should do it in Israel. I don't think we should do it anywhere in the globe. And so I don't know under what their administrative holds are. Um, all I've heard publicly issued by Israel is that these people are criminals and terrorists who have either tried to stab or shoot at um, Israelis, and they are awaiting their adjudication. I believe they should be given due process immediately, and so I can't speak to an issue. I don't know why they're not being given due process, but they deserve due process, regardless of what accusation is, and regardless if you are in a war on terror. Um, I think many countries have made those mistakes in the past, and they should learn from those mistakes. So one more thing on this, and the role of the U.S. and the U.S. Senate in particular and you as an Armed Services Committee member are very relevant. Then we'll move on to some other things. Here's a clip of your colleague, Democratic Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut on CNN State of the Union on Sunday on the idea of the U.S. placing conditions on Israel for any new military aid. We um, regularly condition our aid to allies um, based upon compliance with U.S. law and international law. And so I think it's very consistent with the ways in which we have dispensed aid, especially during wartime, uh, to allies um, for us to talk about making sure that the aid we give Ukraine or the aid we give yeah. Israel is used in accordance with human rights laws. And that'll be a conversation we'll all be engaged in when we get back to Washington on Monday. And of course, on Monday, Monday was yesterday. Has Senator Murphy engaged you in any such conversation yet after you all got back from Thanksgiving break? And after what you said about not supporting uh, detention without charges, will you support his notion of conditions on aid to Israel based on future compliance with U.S. and international law? So we have conditions on all military aid already. Um, we have um, Arms Export Control Act um, that prohibits any gross violation of the laws of war and of humanitarian issues. You also have the conventional arms transfer process, which also prohibits any international military law violations. So we do have it and we um, enforce it. And it is part of any military aid we give any other country. Abel in Fort Greene, you're on WNYC. Hello, Abel. Good morning, Brian. Uh, thank you. Thank you for hosting this. Um, Senator, Senator Gillibrand, uh, I live in Fort Greene. I live down the street from the whole street shelter that the city set up for single migrant men this past summer. And I would like to invite you to come down here and meet with the migrants, meet with the residents of the shelter, meet with the people like uh, from Clinton Hill, Fort Greene Mutual Aid, and Gowanus Mutual Aid, who have been organizing for over the past few months uh, to help get them resources, get them food, get them clothes, get them connected to city and other government services, um, because there is a great need for help for these migrant men. Um, they want to work. They desperately want to work. They are trying to survive in very difficult conditions that the city has created for them. And I've been, I've been very disappointed to see the levels of neglect that have been going on uh, from the city, the state, and the federal level on every single level of government. So we really need some attention. We need some help. 
and I can take some you can take my information off the air. I can help connect you to some of the organizations that have been uh, working with these migrant men and trying to get them the services they may need to survive. Abel, thank you very much, Senator. Well, thank you, Abel, for um, sharing their stories with all the listeners. Um, I think the migration crisis has been incredibly intense for New Yorkers. And I think there's people on both sides who feel that it's not working uh, to help them and that there's too many here and that we don't have the resources to help them. So it's a divisive issue that people are very angry about. Um, I can tell you a couple of things I'm working on. Um, the not-for-profits that are doing such a good job, not-for-profits like Catholic Services, Catholic Charities, um, a lot of the food banks um, are on overdrive trying to meet the needs of these individuals that have come to America because their homes are either being destroyed by gang violence or have no viable governments or have had natural disasters. And so we're do doing a couple of things. Um, but to really help them, we have to change the law. And I'd like to just spend a minute on the ways we have to change the law. First of all, most of the people in the United States, particularly most of the people in New York right now, are here legally under the asylum claim law. Asylum is allowed to be claimed upon entrance to the United States if you feel you have a fear of your life in your home country. And so one of the problems we have is they're not filing the paperwork for asylum on the first day. So one of the things that I've asked um, a lot of our leading organizations um, to do is to get law lawyers and law firms to give pro bono hours um, so that they can go to these shelters and sign every asylum seeker up for asylum on day one, not day 10, not day 40, not day 75. And that's a problem because the clock starts ticking on the day you file. They're legally allowed to work if they're from certain countries, countries that we've created temporary protective status for. We just got that designation for Venezuela. They're allowed to work within 30 days of filing. That's a good number. They should be able to work right away so that they can actually pay their bills, pay for food, pay for housing, pay their taxes, pay Social Security, pay into the system that's benefiting, um, that they're benefiting from. It's very important that they pay their way. Um, that makes people feel like they're part of their community. It makes them feel like they're on the path to citizenship. It's very important. Um, so work is very important. If you do not have a temporary protective status, you have to wait 180 days. That's six months. That's too long. And so I want to change the date. I have a bill called the Aspire Act to change it from 180 days to 30 days for all asylum claims, hmm. regardless if the country you're coming from has temporary protective status. And temporary protective status is hard to get. You have to like show that this country is imploding and has terrible natural disasters and terrible things are happening. And not every country qualifies for that. So there's very few that have temporary protective status, like Haiti had it because of the earthquakes. Um, so that's law change one. The second thing we need is a lot more lawyers and a lot more judges. Like, you know how long it takes to get your asylum claim heard, even if you do, do file on day one? It's taking two or three years. It should take, you know, within... I think the the law we have is it has to be done within 60 days or 90 days, something much more quickly, quickly, so that people can be adjudicated. For a lot of the people here, they're not going to be found to have an asylum status. Um, some estimates of some not-for-profits were about two-thirds would actually go home because they don't qualify for asylum. So then the question is, um, how do we fix our immigration system overall? Well, in New York State, we have 200,000 open jobs right now. We have 100,000 migrants. Our governor would love to match those 
asylum seekers and those migrants with jobs that are open. And the jobs are in all fields, in healthcare, in um, tourism, in hotels and restaurants, in um, agriculture. Like it's, it's every industry. And, and I talked to people across the state all summer long and asked, do you need more workers? Every single one said yes. Every single one. So these workers could be hired um, if we had a process. Our governor is not allowed to get them hired unless she has a legal way to do that. And so we have to change the laws. And the House Republicans right now, and there's a bunch of them in our delegation, have been unwilling to do anything to change these laws. They won't co-sponsor any of the bills I just described, and they're not doing anything. They're not pushing their caucus to do it. It's not being done. So we need comprehensive immigration reform. We need a lot of these laws changed. And in the meantime, we need all the great lawyers of New York City, which we have so many, um, to work with organizations like Catholic Charities, to work with other not-for-profits, legal services in particular, to offer free pro bono legal services to get those claims filed on day one. Um, the governor's working on this now. The mayor's working on this now. But we are far from being where we need to be. They need right. claims filed on day one so we can get them working sooner. Um, but I share your empathy and I share, I share your stress that these families are suffering. And we have jobs for them. And we have the flexibility and the, the depth to help people. And so we should be. We just need to do it under laws that actually make sense. And the ones we have right now are not making sense. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, she's here every month for a monthly call. Your Senator Program callers. Thank you for calling in. Senator, we always appreciate that you do this. Belated happy Thanksgiving. Uh, I guess we will probably talk one more time before Christmas. Thanks for coming on today. Thanks, Brian. I always appreciate you. And thank you to all the callers. I really appreciate their participation. Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.